I would be doing a lot better if I just shut my mouth sometimes. But if I see that there is clear injustice happening, I just can't help myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad, isn't it? Yeah. And I've been like that ever since I was tiny. Meet Davina De Campo. Davina is drag royalty in Manchester. They run the nightclub Kiki in the gay village and have been immortalised in the city's murals. Davina is also very well known for appearing on the first ever series of RuPaul's Drag Race UK when they showcase some incredible looks and performances as well as an iconic moment of TV when they discuss Section 28 and its truly damaging impact. I loved speaking to Davina. This is a truly joyful, thought-provoking and poignant conversation and as you'll hear, they have the best laugh in show business. So, what is it about Manchester that drew Davina and lots of other young LGBTQ plus people here? How did it feel to win a UK Theatre Award when they were least expecting it? And how do you balance a good time drag queen persona with the values of an activist? I'm Lisa Morton and this is We Built This City. Davina, thank you so much for joining me on We Built This City. It's our friend Emma Goswell who set this up because yeah. I tried to get hold of you ages ago and you never replied, but I know how busy you are. So I forgave you and I carried on trying. It must have so been my team. It must have been my t- that Your enormous people. team that I've got working with me. At least for nobody else. Exactly. All those messages. But we're here now and I'm very happy. And I didn't realise that we'll talk about Manchester and obviously you're born in... Um, Brickhouse, West yeah. Yorkshire. We, but you've just been telling me that you're between uh, Gran Canaria and Manchester currently, so I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We we bought kind of, I think 2017, we bought a place out there. Um, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's, you know, it was tuppence halfpenny compared to, you know, anything that you can buy here. Um, and that's, you know, that when you walk through the door of somewhere and immediately it's just your, your place. You know, it just, and that's exactly what what it was. We walked through the doors. The guy who was selling it is like an ex-banker. He's laid on the sofa, smoking a spliff, <laughs> playing his guitar while we're looking around his house. I mean, I was like, yes, I'm into this. This is my place. Great. And it was the only place that we found that, it was the first place we went and looked at. We didn't really know what it was. And it was the only place that we looked at that had everything that we wanted. It has land and a pool and then my husband the, he said oh you know I'd really I'd really like to keep chickens but you know uh, oh well well then when we've done the garden we've been digging things out and what's there hidden underneath all the brambles it's a chicken shed no way. you know so it was just one of those places yeah one of those places that is just it was kind of made for us um and we're so very very lucky to have found our little spot that's so nice. Yeah. And I know that you can sing in four and a half octaves in five different languages doing the split. So <laughs> does that include Spanish? I can sing in Spanish yeah. if you want it. I can't speak Spanish though. Those are very different things. You'll notice when I talk about this, I'm very clear about my use of language. I don't say I can speak. No, I can sing. Ah, I can learn it. Well, I don't know what it is. No idea. 
that might have come in useful. Maybe the splits do anyway. So, so let's just go back to West Brick House then, yeah. where you were born. I've read that you said uh, the Brick House had a small town mentality. Mm. How was it for you growing up? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, people forget how homophobic this country was in the 80s and 90s. You know, we'd had the AIDS crisis and then you had all of those adverts on TV with the tombstones and it was very much seen as the gay disease, mm. um, which, you know, actually was uh, your generation's pan- first pandemic. Um, and it was just ignored by the people in power because it was seen as something that was for them, yeah. not for us. Yeah. <laughs> so um, true. You know, so there was a lot of homophobia and that was being reinforced by the people in power. Uh, and that's what was happening then. So it was a really, really homophobic time. Uh, things have changed a lot. Um, and and I'm really grateful for that. But Brickhouse was... was a very difficult place to grow up in at that time. So why was Manchester calling? Was that for uni or did you think it was going to be a more tolerant kind of place to be? Um, So we actually ran um, a nightclub in Stoke for a really long time in Hanley. Um, So I'd worked at a place called The Club and then we moved across town uh, when that shut and opened a place called The Factory, which was originally it was called The Place and it was one of the first major, you know, big scale nightclubs in the UK. Hanley used to be the kind of clubbing mecca for the whole of the Midlands and and the uh, and the Northwest. Mm. People used to bus in from Manchester <laughs> to Stoke-on-Trent. I mean, can you believe that? Uh, no. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> but they did. People used to bus in from Birmingham, Manchester, Nottingham, North Wales. You know, all over the place used to bus in to Hanley to go clubbing. And the place was a massive part of that. Uh, 3,000 capacity nightclub, one of the first huge venues like that. Um, and they had all kinds of people perform there. You know, like the Rolling Stones and um, Stevie Wonder. You know, they had massive, massive stars performing there. Um So we'd taken over a portion of that building. Um, And then when we sold, we moved to Manchester. We moved to Ancoats. Um, And we'd looked at... um, Queer used to be um, the nightclub number four, Canal Street. Um, (laughs) And that closed down. But we'd been and had a look at it because it was for sale. We'd been and had a look at it. Um, I've got to say, uh, the manager at the time who showed us round... Not particularly inspiring. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice man. But showing us around and going, now, obviously, <laughs> if I could keep my job, that would be great. Um, it's a no from me. <laughs> Don't sound too enthused about it, babes. Um, yeah, so that... that uh, went bust or you know whatever and um, the owners of the building contacted us and said you know would you be up for taking over the lease so we did and that's how Kiki was born um, so we ran that for six years uh, and it was amazing you know we just have been so incredibly lucky having worked all over the place you know, all up and down the northwest, in London, in Glasgow, and you know, all over. Um, the place where I have been most welcomed in terms of a gay scene has been Manchester. You know, just immediately, 
Hello, 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 hello. Chat to all the queens and immediately, oh, you're one of us, fine. Yeah, fine. You know? Um, and that has been my experience of Manchester, that everybody has been so welcoming. And it's been, uh, yeah, re- I love this city. I think it's incredible. I think it's, people, you know, are obsessed with living in London. Like, oh, why, you should come to London, you should live in London, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to live in London. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's too busy. It's too crazy. It's too expensive. It's too stressful. Everybody who I know who has lived in London has just been working to live mm. rather than living and working mm. somewhere, you know? Mm. Um, unless you're earning mega, mega books. Whereas Manchester, glorious. I know. Great. I get all the <laughs> stuff that you have in London. I've got all the amazing theatres, all the incredible artwork going on, the brilliant music scene, the comedy scene, the drag scene got this massive melting pot of different diverse people from all over the place loads of different cultures loads of different uh, religions it's a this is an incredible city why would I want to live anywhere else and also you know you've got 30 different gay venues in a less than a mile stretch <laughs> brilliant yes I don't have to get a taxi across town to go to another gay bar brilliant oh I'll just go next door perfect you know uh yeah Manchester's incredible yeah I love it well we came back to Manchester when I'm Mancunian I was brought up in Salford and went to university in Birmingham actually and we used to come back to Hacienda at times but when we moved back to Manchester um, we spent every moment of our social time on Canal Street mm. in the village and Mantos and stuff. And like, and so my friends that came up with me Mantos, from, wow. yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. where we went. And um, all my friends from London and Birmingham who moved to Manchester came because of, of the gay village and mm. the fact that it was so welcoming to everybody. Yeah, um, they were they were great years. So were you at university in Manchester? No, I went to Manchester Met. Met, yes, but. Um, for some unknown reason, they decided to put the art students in Crew and Alsager. Oh no, really? How nice! I know. How wow! <laughs> what an what a cultural hub Alsager is! <laughs> wow, crikey! Talk about giving us everything in one hand. There you go. It's a load of fields. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, insanity. And then the the worst thing with that was that it was all it was the art students, and then it was the sports science students. <laughs> so you've got all the jocks and all the fags. Like, oh, great! It's Wednesday, and it's time for a disco. Literally a disco as well. Like. This is not a student union. This is a disco with a 59p light stood at the front, spinning around. Woo! I mean, honestly, what an experience that place was. And the halls of residence were covered in asbestos. Everything had a sticker on it. Do not touch asbestos. Do not hit asbestos. No loud noises. Asbestos. Don't breathe. It's full of asbestos. We had the ballet studio that they had. It was a shed. It was a shed with some, like, dance flooring on it. Oh, yeah. Got condemned the year after we'd been there. Why? (laughs) Asbestos. It's ballet. We're doing nothing but jumping up and down inside this building. Oh, what's that dust? Don't worry. Just don't breathe. (laughs) Keep jumping. And five, six, seven, eight. (laughs) 
if I get cloud lung, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> not even know you were going down there I, I, knew, I did know it was that I did notice that but obviously you know you don't know what you're it's like excited. before you get you're there and, and you know I think the world <laughs> tells you what you're supposed to do I'd applied for the six that you're allowed to apply for out of those six three of the universities wrote back and said oh we're not running the course and of course well you've paid your money you don't get to apply for another university. We've had your money. Thanks, love. It's closing time. Off you go. I applied for Rose Bruford. Um, and oh, I can't remember where the other one was. Well, the only one that accepted me was <laughs> Alsager. So I was going there. Whatever happened, wasn't I? Did you stick it out for the three years? I did. And I'm glad that I did because that's how I met my husband. That's how I met Paul. Um yeah, I, I and I, I should have left as well. A friend of mine did leave and he went off and was, you know, doing um, adventures in motion pictures in uh, Swan Lake, you know, proper proper dancing. Vince, for, he's amazing. I, I love him. We're still in contact with each other, you know, and he's very supportive. He's wonderful, an amazing dancer. Um, but I met my husband, because I'd been going to, you know, the local gay bar, the club. I'd been going there the whole time. Um, but I'd never met him, and then I had a chest infection. And, you know, as you do yeah, at university. wonder why. <laughs> as you do at university, I was like, I've got a chest infection. Oh, I can't do my final recital, but I can go out. Uh, so, you know, I'm taking my antibiotics and going out and getting trashed at a weekend, and that's when I met him. And in those three weeks uh, where I shouldn't have been at university, oh. I should have finished. There you go. That's um, life. Sliding yeah, doors. Exactly. Isn't it for sure? Sliding doors. So what's for real? you won't pass you. Yeah. So then you came, that's when you would then open the club in Stoke. Um, I, well, they all, he was already running the club. Uh, I worked all over um, as a dance development officer or acting or TIE or, you know, whatever. And then eventually came back to Stoke. And then we we were kind of there for eight years, and then and then like I said, we moved here. Yeah, but I, I'll say, Jay, for all of its faults, um, also, uh, you know, when you're trapped somewhere, which essentially we were, <laughs> you don't have much choice but to just do the work. You know, mm. it makes you understand what it was like living in the 1800s. There's no <laughs> telly, love. There's no bars here. You can't go out and get crazy. Might as well practice your devised piece or go and do somebody else's directing piece or be in somebody else's choreography. And that's what I did. So I was just in everything, everything and anything that anybody was doing. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll be in your directing piece. I'll be in your choreography. I'll run the uh, gospel choir. I'll run string orchestra. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll do all the lighting. I'll learn how to rig the lights as well. I'll learn how to, yeah. So, um yeah, I just tried to do everything and anything just to just the thread learn to, as much mm. as I possibly could so that I could be as self-sufficient as I possibly could be, you know. And you know that's in like. a creative industry, that's what you've got to be, haven't you? You can't be one-trick pony for sure. Yeah, and there's also just that issue of, you know, you give it to somebody else and then it arrives and you go, this isn't what I asked for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should have just done it myself. Yeah. Great. Now I've got to do it myself anyway. <laughs> So I've wasted three weeks of my life coordinating with you for you to give me this absolute rubbish that I've paid for. So glad. <laughs> I know I hear you. 
what was your journey then into find the whole kind of a career in drag then? What was the, the trigger for that? Yeah, I'd, so I'd done stuff at university. I'd done um, gender performativity uh, kind of projects and I'd done lots of reading and writing around gender identity, gender performativity, gender politics. Um, I'd, you know, I'd done a lot of that as part of my degree um, but I hadn't really considered doing drag in that way. It wasn't something that I was particularly interested in, mostly because the uh, the queens that I had seen were all a bit... Uh, do you swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah. They were shit. <laughs> <laughs> they were absolute dog shit. They were rubbish. So... You know, you're sort of coming from a, a real, you know, I, it was contemporary art that I was doing, you know, so we're real high art, rolling around naked in jam, covering yourself in flower. Very much international festival, Exactly. <laughs> and then you're going and watching people doing, you know, hey, big spender really badly in a bad wig, <laughs> bad makeup and a really ugly dress and thinking, oh, I just don't think this is very good, is it? It's not interesting. It's not funny. It's just a bit naff. Oh, well. So it wasn't really something that I was particularly interested in. Um, But my husband was like, why don't you try doing some drag? You know, you can dance, you can sing. Sometimes you're funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe you should do that. Because I was working as a dance development officer. I was making no money at all. I was living on £15 a week trying to pay off my credit card and, you know, the loan and all of, all of that stuff. Um, so my budget for everything after bills was uh, £15, which was for food. Um, you know, so I wasn't making any money doing this serious art stuff because you just don't. Um, so then kind of branching out and doing a bit of drag. Also, this just to be really clear as well, if you think you're going to make money at drag, think again. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Very few people actually make any money out of doing drag. It, it, it is a labour of love. It's expensive. Um, and, you know, it's that... There's this meme that goes around about musicians will take a £500 guitar, a £1,500 sound system, a £1,000 million backdrop, £12,000 of lights for a £50 gig. You know, it's that. That's exactly what drag is. You will spend thousands to earn tens, Mm. maybe hundreds, um, until you reach a certain level and, you know, you... Sell your soul to RuPaul. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll come to that. Thanks, Ru. <laughs> Love you. Uh, so, yeah, you, it's not something that you're going to make money at. But once you've once you've really got, once you've honed your craft and you have a real stable, good hour of material, then you can start taking that out and making a name for yourself. Um, but that also takes a lot of time, and you know. You can't just copy other people. Mm, no. And like you say, expense, you're telling me about all those outfits. Yeah. Yeah. My God. My house has looked like a jumble sale for 20 years. <laughs> a very expensive jumble sale, but a jumble sale nonetheless. So as a RuPaul um, call, was that kind of fairly life-changing? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, again, you know, it's not just uh, a vocation, it's a business as well. Um, I am a very anxious person. You know, I really am a control freak. Uh, I want to try and control as much as I possibly can so that as little as possible can go wrong. Um, competitions, you have to relinquish all control. And then you add on its television. So you know that producers are going to do things to up the ante, make it more stressful, make you more emotionally unstable, deliberately undermine your confidence. You know, they, they're constantly playing those games. And you have to understand that before you go in mm. to do any television show, that it is a TV show. It's an entertainment rather than a competition. And, and again, before it's a competition, it's a star vehicle for judges. And then before it's a competition, it's this. And, be, you know, so the competition side of it is way down yeah. the list of what the product is that these people are actually trying to make. Um, so as a business decision, doing RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, there wasn't really any choice not to. You know, I'd, I'd already been making bits and pieces of TV. I was already making theatre work. The only way that I could reach a, the next kind of rung on the ladder was by doing something like Drag Race or Britain's Got Talent or, mm. you know, and doing well on it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I wasn't going to do that on Britain's Got Talent. Hey, Big Spend. Woo! Hey, Big Spend. All right, she's gone. <laughs> Bye. Uh, you know, so I knew that Drag Race was a potential for me. Um, and I felt like I'd had enough exposure already for them to take me seriously as a contestant. Uh, or at least, you know, put her through the door and then... Because that's the other thing. Because I was established already, you know, I'd done more television than anybody else at that point. Because I was already established, it's a much bigger risk as well. Yeah. You know, because you already have a reputation. You go on there, you flop, and you can destroy your career very quickly. So, you know, you have to weigh those things up and go, well, how, how much do I want this? Is it worth the risk? And for me, was it going to destroy the gigs and the bookings that I was already doing? No, probably not. You know, the only way that I could have done that is if I'd um, been vile. Yeah. I was mental instead, so that's perfect. <laughs> so do you think you had your eyes completely open then when you went into that? You, you were prepared for what might come? Because you, you just kind of articulated the whole process mm. and the product so well. I mean, you just nailed that, and I've not thought about it like that before. So were you aware of that before the experience? Or yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, and actually, um, you know, I used to be a teacher. I'd, I'd worked in high schools, and the kids were really aware of that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, working with Year 7s, we would watch Britain's Got Talent, and we'd watch an X Factor clip, and we'd watch, um, you know, the voice clip or whatever. And then I'd say, right, what do you notice? And they... Every class, it was, it was really amazing. They'd all go, it's about the judges. The judges get more time than the contestant on screen. It's about the judges, isn't it? Yeah. And then, and then whoever's, you know, the backstage person, they've said this just before they go on. They're, they're giving us that information or correct. So that, you know, kids can see that it operates in this way as well. Mm. As soon as you sit back and really look at it objectively, you go oh, this isn't what I'm being sold mm. at all. Mm. This is something completely different. And I think in a lot of respects, I've been really, really lucky to have, you know, the voice, BGT, 
uh, all together now, various other little bits. So I'd had those experiences already of how television works, what it's like backstage and in front of the camera, and then also what it's like to experience um, people kind of stopping you in the street and going, ah, oh, I saw you on Saturday. You were, mm. It was so funny. You know, all of that stuff. So I kind of had that miniature training for what it was going to be like before I went in and did it. And I'd also worked with a lot of the American girls who'd come over. I tour with them. Um, so obviously you pick up, you know, they do this, they do that. Expect this, expect that. Mm. This, you know, it's going to be this, it'll be that. Um, so they gave me a lot of information about what it would actually be like inside the system as well. Mm. And in that um, series, you had that iconic moment, didn't you, where you talked about how being at school and, and Section 28 it, mm. it impacted you so um, deeply. Were you surprised by the reaction and the resonance that that got? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you don't, the thing is you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how people True. are going to react. Yeah. You, don't, you just don't know. You just have to... My only intention going on there was to be as much myself as I possibly could be in the moment. Um, and I think... What I found really interesting was how few people knew about Section 28 in the first place, you know, and then the messages that I got from people going, now my experience makes sense. I didn't know about this. And now, I, you know, you feel cheated in a way, actually, um, because something that could have been done to just make your life easier wasn't. And it's not a big thing, you know, it's not a big thing to just say, these people also exist in the world and that's okay, you know, because anybody who even worked in the council talking about uh, homosexual relationships in a positive light uh, could have lost their job. You know, that's basically what that said. If you equate it to uh, the value of it to a traditional relationship, um, then, then you, you could face the sack, which made it very difficult for teachers to kind of walk that line. And, and what that did actually was it meant that a lot of teachers just didn't bother. <laughs> so, you know, it was, they, they could see the bullying happening. They could see all the problems that were being created. Um, and and they, would, they wouldn't do anything about it. Uh, and it wasn't that they couldn't. Some of those teachers used it as a shield for their own yeah. bigotry. Yeah. Um, I, one of the producers... Um, talked to me afterwards and he said uh, he had never seen Section 28 talked about in that way on television ever. That, it, you know, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't remember a time where somebody had actually said, this is the impact of this legislation on people's lives. Um, and why, it's, why that's a problem. It's really true because, as you say, I mean, my generation, you know, was aware of that, but then my, probably my kids... It would be horrified and probably don't even know that that was ever a you know, ever yeah you had to deal with. I mean, after after I because I you know like I said it was I was teaching, and after I'd left the school, um, the deputy headmistress was talking about equal marriage, and had said, oh, so uh, I'd got married to my husband, and before that year I wouldn't have been allowed to, and the kids were outraged. They were like, what do you mean? What do you mean he couldn't have married? What? And these are kids in a really, you know, um, 
it's a, a difficult area that we'll be teaching in. You know, lots of poverty, lots of um, disengagement with authority, lots of disengagement with um, education. Um, and some kids with really disordered home lives and and they could see that it was wrong, you know? Um, so, you know, in the schools that are doing the work, the kids have just moved forward so much. Before you did Drag Race, you were immortalised, weren't you, on a, a mosaic in uh, the village? Yeah, actually, there was one before. Oh, there was there? two. Right. Yeah, there was one in uh, one of the university's uh, student unions. That was the first one that went up. I think that went up in like 20... It must have been 2017 or 18, because I think that's when that picture was taken. Um, yeah, uh, so there was one in a student union already which is crazy, yeah. that's absolutely bonkers. Um, and then, yeah, that one uh, with Axie. Um, is that a surprise? On, on the, well, I mean, it's where it should be, isn't it? It's on the, <laughs> we'll go in there. Around the back of a building by the bins. <laughs> <laughs> where I hang out, generally. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, that was vandalised, wasn't it, a while back? So yeah, how, it was. Yeah. It was. The weird thing was, it turned out that he was like a 65, 70-year-old guy, um, clearly mental health issues. Um, the the girl who was dealing with it at the police was really on it, though. She really? was not letting go. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. She was not letting go. She was going to make sure that this person um, was held to account for it. You know, like, to me, anybody who's... <laughs> Anybody who's doing that clearly has some real issues um, and they need some help with that rather than, you know, I don't, I don't think that putting somebody who's no. spray painted my face, <laughs> it needs to be put in prison or, you know, any of that stuff. I think that person probably needs some help. Um, so, you know, I hope that's what happened. Um, but yeah, she was great. The girl who dealt with it was really, really good. That's good to know, isn't it? I think... The, you and know, Carl also really yes, pushed yeah, as well. Yeah. Carl Austin B. Yeah. He really pushed on that. Well, like Carl, I mean, it's clearly important to you that you use your platform mm. to kind of like spread tolerance and to educate. So do you see that as, as a responsibility as an artist in I, You know, I, lots of people don't, and it doesn't really help me that I do, if I'm completely honest, okay. you know, in terms of economically. I would be doing a lot better if I just shut my mouth sometimes. But if I see that there is clear injustice happening, I just can't help myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad, isn't it? Yeah. And I've been like that ever since I was tiny. Yeah. You know, if I if something was clearly not right, even as a kid, I would be like, no, 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 you're wrong. <laughs> to adults, to anybody. Yeah. But that then speaks of your values, doesn't it? I mean, that you're maybe compromising commercial gain by making sure that you, you stand up and, and say what's important to you. So, you know. Yeah, and it's not always, it's not always easy or clear cut. Um, so I've been accused of, um, I went and did a gig in Israel. Um, it's for an independent promoter um, for Gay Pride in Tel Aviv. And I've been accused of um, apartheid apology, for being a racist, for um, pink washing Israel. 
Um, I think there's some nuance in there, you know? I'm not working for the Israeli government, and I have been really clear in my stance historically of I disagree with the Israeli government. Uh, Does that mean that I shouldn't go and perform for a load of queers in the Middle East who are not anything to do with the government, who, you know, are... Uh, this event is being run by an independent person who's gay, who I also have a working relationship with. You know, where where does that stop? Because otherwise, I shouldn't perform in the UK because we've got people living in squalor, you know, getting Victorian diseases who are asylum seekers. You know, they keep talking about the migrant crisis. It's not a migrant crisis. It's a crisis of our... Um, foreign policy that's what it is it's a crisis of our negligence our uh, uh, reticence to take our responsibilities seriously um so you know it's not always clear cut and it's not always easy so if if you actually want to do something about that don't attack a drag queen for going to perform for a load of gays write to your mp write to your member of congress Those are the people who are funding this. Those are the people who can change that. Not me. You've asked somebody who says that, you know, you are, you know, you show up as you are, that you have to be you, you have to, you know, authenticity is so important to you. Um, Is that something then that you feel that you've always stood by? Is that something that is, you know, part of your DNA? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think you strike me somebody that could, if you felt passionately about something, you're not going to sit oh, on that ticket. Oh, it's very difficult, isn't yeah. it? You can see it, can't you? I'm mm. sat across from you. You can see yeah. my body changes. Yeah. Everything about me changes yeah. when it becomes something that actually it matters. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's obviously there's a person on stage, and that person isn't all. You know, she's not going to stand there and talk about this stuff in that way. It, that's not going to happen. It would have to be framed in a different way because that isn't that isn't necessarily what uh, as a performance, as a performer, as a person on stage. That isn't necessarily what uh, people want from me or what I want to give them. You know, there can be an element of that, but it has to be kind of very carefully framed so that it's not right. I'm going to beat you around the head with these enormous existential crises <laughs> that we're all facing, <laughs> even though you just came here for two hours to let go of all of that you know yeah i i also have to understand that uh these people aren't aren't here for that they Mm. want some fun because the world is fucking crazy right now (laughs) and and sometimes you just have to you know let that be outside the room and does that help you as well me those the difference between the persona of davina on stage and then on a daily basis can you switch between those two quite easily we're very very similar we are very similar she's just kind of more of a party magnification (laughs) yeah we're very similar Um, there isn't that much difference um but you know it's it's about that framework of what is where am i who am i with and what am i here for you know yeah these questions and so, obviously, we talk about values and we were chatting before about, you know, Roland Dransfield's set of values and how we want to show up. You know, we talk about the importance of relationships, particularly in Manchester. A lot of people who are born here or drawn here, they find that in finding their tribe and like-minded people who share the same values, you can create a lot more impact and you create more yeah. ripples if you do it that way. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things 
that as a, you know, the LGBTQ plus community has got to recognise we've just had today Braverman talking about how they're going to exclude trans people from the um, human rights bill. Uh, We're hearing the same sort of noises from uh, the conversion therapy bill. We're hearing noises about Rishi Sunak wanting to exclude trans people from the uh, human rights bill. And the only way that we got our rights was by showing solidarity and being organised with other groups. You know, so primarily it was the miners striking that kind of really catalyzed stuff in the UK for for the uh, LGBTQ community. And, I mean, weirdly, we're seeing almost exactly the same thing, aren't we? People having to strike because they cannot afford to yeah. pay their own... You know, bill. They can't afford to eat, never mind anything else. And, and it's important to recognise that where we are, you know, not wallow in the depths of this. Is, oh, God, what are we going to do? We know what we need yeah, to do. We need be- to organise and we need to push back against it. That's what needs to happen. It's about uh, showing solidarity with other groups who are also facing, you know, really, really tough times. Nurses, doctors, uh, railway workers. I mean, pretty much everybody. For 12 years, everybody's had a pay cut. There's a problem there. Yeah. There are more billionaires than there ever were. You know, in terms of pay equality, we're f- way further apart than we were 12 years ago. And still, you know, they're going, oh, well, there's no money. Mm, there is. We're the fifth largest economy. There's plenty of money. It's just it's going to fewer and fewer people right at the top. Um, you know. And what's your view on, say, over the past couple of years that, you know, maybe since COVID, um, in terms of obviously Manchester's always got a reputation of being politically organised and standing up for, mm. you know, the underdog. How, how, have you, how have you kind of seen that over the past couple of years? Is, is that giving you some confidence that we're... Yeah, we're, I think Manchester, that's one of the, you know, a big part of the, the gay rights movement, again, was here in Manchester. Yeah standing outside the town hall, the pictures are just mm. like, mm. you know, it's incredible. Mm. And then the fact that um, that Pride is such a huge event in Manchester. It's, it's massive. There's nothing like Pride in Manchester where you get those hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets, cheering everybody on and having a lovely time. Um, there's nothing else like that that happens. Um, and I, and I think that's because Manchester really understands the importance of diversity. You know, we get actually having all these people with these different life experiences feeds into the richness of, of our society. Um, and, and creating a place where all of those people can live a happy, fulfilled life. It's one that we should be trying for, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. And we talk about legacy at Roland Dransfield. There's no doubt how passionate you are about rights of the LGBT community and your work in terms of making sure that young people are supported. And I think it's amazing to see. So you've done loads and loads of that work for a young person already. What When you're kind of looking back, when you're in Gran Canaria and you're with your, your chickens and those eagles flying around <laughs> in the valley. Trying to eat the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want to, what would you like to be seen as your legacy um uh, I, it's that thing about uh you've got it in your 
um, your goals mm. as well. It's that thing about leaving things a bit better than, than mm. it was before you found it. Mm. Um, and, and that's what I hope, you know, most of the time I do. I'm not perfect. I make lots of mistakes. I can be very difficult to work with because... Because I've made so many mistakes, I don't want to do it like that because I know that it doesn't work because I've already done it. So if we could just do it the way that I've said, I know that it will work. (laughs) You know? Um, So, you know, I know I have lots of flaws. I know I can come across as really patronising to people. I don't mean to. It's just how I speak. Um, Sometimes I do mean it. You know, depends whether you're being an idiot or not. Um, I, I... yeah, it's it's trying to leave things just that bit better than it was when you when you arrived. Um, which, yeah, I think all of us need to do that. Mm. Great philosophy. And it's not really how business works, is it? You know, big business particularly is about uh, colonising things and then tearing them apart and selling off the profitable bits and then letting the bits that aren't profitable die rather than building something that's sustainable and works for everybody. Yeah. Again, I don't know if you know, but <laughs> that's what's happened in the UK. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, Manchester, quick fire. <laughs> so, okay, I want you to describe Manchester in four words, but I want you to sing them in four octaves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... Eclectic, <laughs> wild, um, gay. <laughs> there you go. You oh, probably can't understand what the hell that last one was, can you? That's amazing. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to do the half one that you do. I wasn't quite sure how to do half a word in half an not so. So that is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it three words? No, oh, it's I've four done. words. Oh, all right, good. You can there do four and a half octaves, can't yeah. you? Yeah. How does that it's actually work? It's kind of there. Uh, but that's on a good day. Right. You know, like, okay. I just woke up and I'm in the gym. Crikey. You just had your, uh, yeah, your lemon and, your lemon <laughs> coffee. Lemon and coffee. Hey? Don't be asking me to do anything too strenuous right now. <laughs> that was brilliant. Oh, well, I'm glad we did that. <laughs> Favourite Manchester expression? Uh, I love I love. I love. <laughs> I mean, how lovely. It's lovely. Love. I love Everybody's that. a love. We can't, we're supposed to not call people love in like the working environment, oh, but it's I, so hard not no. to do that. Also, if Manchester was a song from a musical, what would it be? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> it's all the things. It's just all the things. <laughs> so you, if you're going to do, you could do half an octave and half a word on that. Yeah. Couldn't you? <laughs> what do you order at the chippy? Uh, uh, chips and curry, chips and curry sauce. Yeah, come on. In a tray. Yeah, in a tray. tray. Give me the, give me the tray. <laughs> Never be, eat it out of the tray. Yeah. yeah like oh the yeah. Bits. Yeah. What do you miss about Manchester most when you're in Gran Canaria? Uh, how it's the bustle of the city. Yeah, it's the bustle, hustle and bustle of this city. I mean, I'm one of those, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, I said I'm anxious. So sometimes it's too much and I get like really overstimulated by it and I have to run away. Um, but it is that, it's getting get in the madness, see all the crazy people, have a great time and then disappear again. Mm, I love it. 
and you can just go off to the middle of your in your cave, can't you? Yeah, yeah go and live in your cave. For go a and bit. hide in the cave. Um, <laughs> I want to also ask you because you just won a major award. So yeah. tell us about that because that was literally we we're recording this. It was a few few days ago that you won that huge award for your. Um, the f- is it the first drama that you've had a li- the lead in? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the first musical that I've been the lead in, and um, listen, this is bad. All right, but I didn't know that it was a big deal. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, sh- I should have I should have realised from the title that it's called UK Theatre. Yeah. But I thought, oh, it's just going to be some regional scraps. Here you are, oh, regional theatre. Oh, you can have a little bit of something. <laughs> you know, so I thought it was just like, oh, it's just whatever. It's a whatever thing. And then, so the Sunday was the day that I... I had won and hadn't expected it because there were kids there who were up for the same award. And I thought, well, you don't invite kids to an award ceremony and then not let them win. <laughs> they looked like I'd drowned a bag of kittens when they announced my name. It was awful. And I thought, oh, God, I hope Santa's nice to you this year because these people haven't been. So, of course, then I don't know what I'm going to say when I get up because I haven't written a speech because, well, why would I? I'm not going to win. You've got kids here. Uh, so then I just kind of, thanks, sort of did that. And then I looked on the Monday who was eligible for it. And it, and when it said UK theatre, it means UK theatre. <laughs> like it means everybody, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Cameron McIntosh, like all the ATG theatres. So it's everybody. So I was like, oh, Probably should have thought about it before I went and stood on stage and just garbled it. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. Okay, bye. Oh, like an absolute idiot. Oh, embarrassing. So, and that was a collaboration with Home, wasn't it? Manchester yeah. and Leeds Playhouse. Leeds yeah. Playhouse and Home, yeah. yeah. And they were just brilliant. They create. They created such a supportive environment to make the work in. They really did. Um and, you know, I mean, Leeds is a massive, massive organisation, so it takes a long time for them to set things up. Um, and they just made such a great working environment for the rehearsals. And home was just a joy from start to finish. It was so, so welcoming and so much fun. Yeah. So, and I just, I, I, Hedwig for me was like, a, there's this one song called The Origin of Love. And it's a... Well, it's an origin story, you know, so it's like Adam and Eve or Gary and Steve, but it's, it's, it's a completely different way of looking at it. And it just, it was like one of those eureka moments for me. My brain just went, all those things are just made up. None of that's actually real. And then you go, oh, I've been buying into this story that, you know, and this is at like 27 again, just having another moment of going, oh, wow, everything is set up to tell you, you have to do this and that and be this person and that's how you're a successful human. Um, and and so for me, it's a kind of seminal uh, piece, Hedwig. So to then be able to get up on stage and do it was just, I mean, such an honour and and it's a crazy show. Like, it's crazy. I really want yeah. to see it. I'm it's gonna, crazy. I mean, you said as well that um, it was a coat that you'd wanted to wear for, for some time. I love the quote. What do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think of characters, uh, you know, like when you have a, a coat that is 
your coat, the one that you put on and it's just perfect for everything with your body, you know. So that's once you've once you've kind of really got under the skin of a character, then you can put their coat on. And then and then you're them. Um and and that's really how I felt with Hedwig, that I'd really got under his skin. Um and and I was uh yeah. As, as close to being somebody else as possible for that hour and a half every night as, as you can be. And that's why you won. Well, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just the winning smile. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I, honestly, I've loved it. And everyone in this room has had this made their day as well. So thank you. Um, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for your creativity and your passion and for making sure that people have got a voice and you're doing that as, as part of and spreading so much joy as well. So you spread a lot of joy in here today. <laughs> I've had a lovely a time. Lot of joy. <laughs> and so thanks for helping us to build this city. Davina De Campo built this city by giving a voice to others, by knowing change comes when we stand together, and by singing in five languages and four and a half octaves whilst doing the splits. On the next episode of We Built This City, you'll hear from another born, bred or adopted Manc, and that episode will be available on the 24th of November. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 26 years on 0161 236 1122. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with our amazing team through our website at www.purposefulpodcasts.com. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you.